What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy, y'all. And we got a pretty fun show for today. Got reviews for Ron's Gone Wrong, High Guardian Spice, and Aquaman, King of Atlantis. But first, we've got some other business to attend to. So Cameron, where do you want to start? Let's start with some trailers, and then we will get into that one interesting pitch pilot trailer thing. So um, if you're in the animation scene, you know exactly what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. So the first one is that Pixar released a teaser for Lightyear, the movie that's within the Toy Story universe that inspired Buzz Lightyear. I know that's a little complicated, but it's actually not that complicated when you think about it a little. Anyway, we got this new trailer for the film that's coming out next year in June. And I keep thinking like, isn't it a little too early to release a teaser for this movie? And then I realized it's October of 2021. And it's like, right, (laughs) time loses all meaning these days. They want to have something to put in front of both Eternals and Encanto. Now is like the time to to put out a trailer. Exactly. It looked pretty good. A different vibe from other Pixar films. This slightly more serious toned sci-fi adventure. And I know it's not their first sci-fi adventure. You know, we had WALL-E, which of course that's a great movie. But I dug it. I really appreciated the vibe. And yes, Starman from David Bowie is a little on the nose. It's Bowie. It works. Uh, What did you think about it? It's interesting. I'm not sure, honestly, what I was expecting with this teaser, but the way they edited Starman to go with this more, some people have called this kind of somber in tone, but I don't think the whole movie is going to be like this. This kind of reminded me of the Cars 3 trailer, which made the film seem like super serious. But then it turns out it's just another Cars movie. This will take the material itself seriously, but it's also going to have a little bit of that pulpy base adventure vibe. I don't think we're going to run into a Cars 3 situation with this movie. It's part of the Toy Story franchise. And it's in this really interesting space, pardon the pun, of... Like, you don't have to make it part of the the normal Toy Story like visual look and tone can make this its own unique thing i hope they at least like pay homage to some classic space adventure movies from the 90s something that like kids like andy would be into well i think that's what they're going for this is the movie that andy saw when he was a kid and i know i still remember the when it was first announced everyone saw that first teaser image and they all called it pixar's first man (laughs) and i like the visual look of light year i think it yes it still has some of those design elements of pixar and i can understand some people being weirded out by main character's chin size but i think it overall looks good i it looks appealing and i like that they're trying to do a slightly somber or a little more serious tone film because you know if we want animation to evolve we have to be willing to let companies whether it's based off of an IP or not, experiment a little. That's a good point. Now, we, we only got to hear him say like two words, but what did you think of Chris Evans as 
Buzz Lightyear. I think it makes sense to get him as Buzz Lightyear or whatever his name is in this movie. He's got a good voice for this kind of character. And granted, it's not the first time I've seen him in a sci-fi movie. I have some knowledge of when he was in Battle for Terra, which was a movie way back in like 29, uh, 2009 or 2010. So very obscure animated film that came out during that time period. I enjoyed it. I, I like him. So he's a more, he's an actor of range. So I think he'll do a good job with his voiceover role. I like where they're going with his character. It's a little bit of a younger voice. He's still that, like, he can still pull off that heroic persona. Yeah, I will say, and I, I agree with this criticism. Why do they keep the bright colors for the light year suit? <laughs> like the green and the purple and such. I get it. It's just kind of distracting in some ways to the to how everything else looks. I can't wait for it. Pixar is going to have an interesting year next year with this and Turning Red as its two movies. We'll have to see what uh or if Disney has anything for next year. So we'll have to see. Now we also got a announcement that WellGo USA Entertainment picked up the U.S. release rights to the monkey king reborn and they'll be releasing it in december on a blu-ray and dvd and digital and i think they'll have like a small theatrical run for it as well but you'll have to keep an eye out for that well go usa films tend to have an inconsistent theatrical run depending on the movie itself so this is not based off of the 2015 film this is like not a follow-up to that one it's its own movie that is obviously going to tell a different part of the Monkey King story and not just try to retell the whole story or go the Jojo Bizarre Adventure route and just adapt the story that everyone knows and everyone likes the most. I was about to ask, this was like part of a series or, or like a complete reinvention. I think it's just a different part of the story because the Journey to the West storyline is long. It's a big, epic story. And... They're obviously not going to tell like some of the more well-known sides of the plot or from what I remember, it's been a while since I've read up the actual story because most people have seen the journey to the West story just in different forms and different ways of being like the story being told, like, you know, Dragon Ball was inspired by journey to the West. Sayuki was basically its own like, hot anime boys action adventure series based off of journey to the west for me it's like i know it's kind of easy to say like oh man another monkey king film but you know we do that with like superhero movies here so true it's a popular story it's like the popular chinese mythological epic there's even that um video game that's coming out in a few years called black myth wukong which is like a different retelling of the journey to the west story which looks great if you can look up the footage of the two gameplay videos be excited but um what did you think about the trailer for this it looks great i'm only vaguely familiar with the journey to the west story i mean as much as i love dragon ball there are like hundreds of different adaptations but it's cool that this is a story that is so malleable that anyone can kind of like take a slice of the narrative and kind of mold it into like their own vision 
And that's exactly what this looks like. It looks like it looks like a version of the story that we haven't seen before. I really like how they're treating the Monkey King himself, how he's a little bit more, he does have a particular edge to him. He's a trickster. He, if you look at like uh, Havoc in Heaven and such, like the most famous animated form, uh, like version of the Monkey King story, he's a trickster. He's like, not like a, he's like a Bugs Bunny kind of character where he would like say like, hey, I don't want this. I want the, like this. And then he would like trick his opponent or adversary into get, getting him what he wants. And then also being like, strong as heck because he like a lot of the story is like he wanted to be a like a god like character and god was like no 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 so then the monkey king basically gave god and all of heaven like a screw you and then made his way into being a godlike deity the chinese animation scene for films has been like growing so much and been improving because China has a very rich history of animated features. And unfortunately, like they hit like a low point kind of around the same time as when Disney hit its low point. Oh, of, yeah. Of just like finding out exactly what they want to do. And then a bunch of new artists came in. And around like 2015, it really got started with the Monkey King Hero is Back. While it's not a very good movie. When you look at it compared to everything that was released beforehand during that dark period, it was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> they adapted, they grew, they evolved as artists and animators. And then that led us to like, of course, 2019's Neza, which was the highest grossing Chinese film of that year. And we also got like White Snake, and then we got New Gods, Neza Reborn. It's just been big and we still haven't gotten some of the more interesting films from there, which I wish we could get. I feel like they haven't been released in a while, so I'm assuming that they could be bought up for cheap or at least easy to obtain. And I'm thinking WellGo might be able to do that since they've been really the ones to purchase and bring over films from around the world, mostly from like China and Japan. So we'll have to see what happens. I'm looking forward to this movie though. It just looks good. Now we will make a quick mention of it. We did see the teaser for Wendell and Wild, the new Henry Selick stop motion film. Not a whole lot to talk about. It was just 10 seconds of really good stop motion, of course. So, and it will be fun to see Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key together again for a comedy and Jordan Peele's co-writing the film with Selick. Th that's really all I wanted to mention that just so nobody's asking, hey, why didn't you talk about this? Now, the other thing that kind of came up and was like made the animation scene go like, wow, wow, what was this little pitch trailer ad thing for that was released on Adult Swim called Come and Learn with Pibby? Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> So before we get into the movies and shows and such, we'll, let's talk about this one quickly. So essentially this was like at first a, like it looked like a, like a preschool edutainment kind of show that we've all seen before and it looked very harmless. And then it just gets worse. <laughs> like this blob is like formless thing of like glitchy, like white noise from your TV when it's like 
unplugged and such, like floods over the land. And then it takes a very dark turn. And then it just turns into like this kingdom hearts of like all of this, like Warner Brothers cartoon network, like characters gaining absorbed into this monstrous thing. It's really like a pitch. There's really not too much to it. It's just this weird, dark take on i mean i guess how would you describe it imagine who framed roger rabbit mixed with kingdom hearts and i forget the name of the that like that one glitch from pokemon Um, oh yeah yeah i know what you're talking about yeah like that blended together in this like very horror tinged creepy pasta kind of crossover i can see why the internet has kind of gone gaga for this because this does sound like a pretty awesome pitch i would kind of love if if this was like an over the garden wall kind of mini series just give it like seven or eight episodes just throw caution to the wind it reminds me of a lot of those indie games that would try to be like that are very misleading like they start out as super cute and harmless and such and then it gets dark really fast really quick <laughs> i think that's why i wasn't as how you say uh enthused enthused because i feel like it's a little too predictable and i've seen this kind of thing before and it's not its fault that like really the one thing that it it has over the other like those other kinds of like indie games and like parody trailers that indie animators make is that it has the cartoon network warner brothers properties and such and not that it's like not effective Some of those, like, with those empty faces coming out of the blob and such is so scary. It's so Mm -hmm. creepy. I'm just, I don't know. It's a little too predictable for me. I don't think you could make a whole series about this. I think you would have to go, like, a limited event series, like Infinity Train or Over Garden Wall or Maya and the Three. Don't overstay your welcome. Just give it, like, a very specific run and then just use that time to your advantage. One thing I will say before we move on to uh, to our main topics is kind of tone they're parodying for the beginning, like the sort of edutainment style. That That's also kind of an Adult Swim trademark as some of their other shows kind of have that, that sort of juvenile sense of humor where it's like really like adult sense of humor, but mixed with, mixed with that sort of like childish uh, delivery. Yeah, and... I think that's also why it probably didn't work for me because it showed up on Adult Swim. If this was like on HBO Max, maybe I would have been a little more impressed by it. But since it's kind of like what you would normally see from Adult Swim and it makes sense that it shows up on Adult Swim. It's just maybe it's just because we've seen this kind of like cutesy cartoon look that gets really dark from like fan art or fan animation and fan films and such i am curious to know if they will go through with making this into like at least a limited series because i could see it working and maybe they could like fill in like a story of like either something about like ip like commentary about like ip and nostalgia or something like that how like the toxicity of it all or something like that or like branding and brand recognition i don't know they just have to find the right angle and i think this this could be something special but First, just wanted to talk about this because it was like one of the more entertaining animation things to happen this week. I would like to see if they could turn it into something. How about we move on to Ron's Gone Wrong? Yeah, this is uh, the first feature film from 
locksmith animation directed by Jean-Philippe Vine and Sarah Smith, co-directed by Octavio E. Rodriguez and written by Smith and Peter Bainham. And it stars uh, Jack Dylan Grazer as Barney, a socially awkward schoolboy who receives a robot named Ron, a walking, talking, digitally connected device that's supposed to be his best friend. Barney's excited to finally have his own robot until his new toy starts to hilariously malfunction, drawing the attention of a shady executive who wants to protect his company's stock prices at all costs. I saw this like a week ago, so I can't really recall all the details, but I do remember like having a very good time watching this. For Locksmith's first feature film, they made a great first impression. How about you? Um, I saw this on Tuesday, just because I just couldn't find a time to fit it in during the, the weekend and such. And I enjoyed it. I was very impressed with the first film from this studio. And of course, luckily, they will be doing more films with WB. So everything's okay in the end for the studio itself. And while I will say there are some flaws that kept it back from being like one of my top 10 favorites, it's still a really solid movie. And one that shouldn't be held down or held um, back because it happened to come out the same year as the Mitchells versus the Machines and may have other similarities to stuff like uh, Big Hero 6 and what have you, so. And even then, like, the similarities are surface level at best. Yeah, no, it's just like, oh, AI goes wrong. Well, that's not just a Mitchells versus a Machines. That's like like a common sci-fi story element. This one isn't new or breaking any ground. But let's talk about, our, like, the the positive elements to the film. I think the best part about the movie is the dynamic between our main character, Barney, and Ron. I think when the movie is about these two, it's great. I love like the dynamic that they have in Ron just glitching out at times and then just having a very dry sense of humor in responding to everything. And mm-hmm. of course, having Zach Galifianakis as Ron helps out very much. Like, I know Jack Dylan Grazer is Barney, though this isn't the, like, I think I prefer Jack Dylan Grazer from uh, in Luca over Same. this one. But it's not like they do a few smart details about like Barney's character arc. Like he's alone, but not because like people treat him differently. It's really the idea that the, the, yeah, the B-Bots are the reason why, like, he used to have friends and then they grew apart because the B-Bots were all about, let the algorithm choose who your friends are and who what you have in common. And, like, you be friends with people who have the same stuff as you and what have you. And instead of being, like, helpful with making friends, it actually isolates people more. So I think that was a very smart story beat. To have yeah for a premise that you think we'd seen like a number of times they actually had some smart commentary on social media and how pretty much consumes the entire world but especially especially kids like at this age yeah and just how social media and technology like shapes people because 
it's like when they got when like his two friends who at the beginning of the film are not his friends got their b-bots one of them turned into like one of those obnoxious terrible prank people and the other turned into a social media acolyte and was more worried about her image and such and just how it changes people and i think there is something to talk about with that and how like what the algorithm does to people and how it i like barney's dynamic with his father and grandmother the grandmother is a little like almost too like leaning into the stereotype of a russian grandmother it teeters into it being like okay you can dial it back a little though olivia coleman i think is the reason why it is still tolerable uh-huh. It's kind of amusing now. We have two films that we can compare Jack Dylan Grazer performances and two animated films with Olivia Coleman performances. <laughs> I know. How weird is that? This year has been very weird in that regards. And um, I liked Ed Helms. I'm not always on his like wavelength of his comedy, but I thought he played the dad very well and how the dad was like, you don't want to be hooked on technology. You can take the life out of your... Uh, Hold on a second. (laughs) I know we we have these young, like hip tech guys who make these things with the best intentions and all that jazz with like Mark uh, Wydell, who's voiced by Justice Smith. I liked him. He's not the most interesting character, but I like Justice Smith as an actor and I thought he did a pretty good job. He's good. He was exactly the character that we needed for the story. As one-dimensional as the actual villain is, I'm just a big fan of Rob Delaney as an actor and a comedian. So whatever the script, whatever was missing from the script, he kind of gave himself to the role and made it more entertaining. Yeah, I think the uh, Andrew Morris, the uh, quote-unquote true villain of the movie, was a little boring. Like, if it wasn't for Delaney, it would have been an entirely just forgettable character in the story and i liked the humor it delved into some childlike humor but it was never like rampant except for the one joke that they kept playing but i give kudos to the one joke like after you know the whole school thing that humiliates uh savannah uh, maydays because it actually like helps with the story even though i'm not into that kind of humor yeah it it was one of those like necessary evils we had to get through that joke in order for her character to advance right i think my favorite humor was from zach galifianakis and how ron would sometimes be like i can pop off this person's head with this much force and i'm going to do it (laughs) and like how the bullies almost like wrecked him and then he's like i'm going to wreck you (laughs) and how much chaos he could bring about I'm glad that they didn't go with like, oh, all the buddy bots turn evil. For oh, this yeah. Thank, sci-fi tale. Thank God they didn't go that route. It's um, it was it could have been so easy to do so. And I like that it's a smaller scale story. It doesn't like ruin the entire world. It's really all in this one town. And I think that gives it a little more appeal than what we could have gotten if like they tried to make it more global and such because it's not like ron is a bad buddy bot he's just glitched like his hardware is busted and that's why he can't do all the things that the other b bots can do and i like that it like they didn't try to go too big for their first movie and now 
I will say the weakest part of this movie were the side characters. Like I didn't really care much for the two friends and they like, they didn't really leave much of an impression. You needed them for the story to work. It's not like you can take them out and in like nothing against Kylie Cantrell or uh, Ricardo Hurtado who played Rich in Savannah. Like it's nothing against them. They did what they needed to do for those characters. They're just not interesting. Like, I don't know everything else. I didn't hate them or anything. They were just kind of like story fodder. They need to be there to, to drive home the message about what it means to be a friend and yada, yada, yada. People are there to watch the real friendship between Barney and Ron. Right. Now, what did you think about the ending? Because it goes for a kind of pseudo Big Hero 6 kind of thing where, spoilers, where Ron basically gives up his data to quote-unquote fix the other B-bots, even though the previous like part of the story said having this happen would actually be detrimental. But I don't know. <laughs> it was just something I kind of noticed, saying like, well, wait a minute, wasn't this supposed to be a bad thing? Why is this now like the ultimatum to fixing the like the situation and it was sweet because i don't agree with reviews of this movie that people say like oh to make friends you gotta have technology that's not the message here and it's really not and the message isn't technology is bad play outside the movie kind of goes out of its way to show that like hey uh you need technology if you're going to go outside <laughs> and that whole mindset of like technology is bad, go play outside. Th that kind of mindset has changed for years now. Now it's like more like protection and like security and such, because, you know, horrifying stuff can happen when you're outside, but I'm not saying, Oh, stay inside, play video games, watch movies all day. No, I'm just saying technology can help, but it's not the end all be all solution to everything. And that's what I got from the movie. I got the same thing. It's weird how people have sort of between this and the Mitchell's versus the machine. It's weird how like people have kind of just jumped to the conclusion that these are technology is bad stories when really it's technology is a tool it's how you use it that matters more than the technology itself exactly and there are some other story beats that kind like that threw me off a little more than just the overall moral like with andrew morris the uh, the big tech bad guy he was willing to let barney die <laughs> in the forest and then there were like no repercussions of that. He, I think he gets off a little too much, mm -hmm. like off, like slap of the wrist and such. Apparently no one saw that he was going to let a kid <laughs> die in the forest. So <laughs> it was kind of odd to see that unfold. I mean, that's really all like, now, what did you think about the animation? This was their first movie. And of course you want to make a good first impression. I thought the animation looked good. Yes. This is what I mean by how far... CGI has come they really kind of infuse the manic energy of like 2D animation but have like have pretty much translated that into CGI and the animation specifically with Ron how he gets all like derpy like whenever he's like gliding around and being all glitchy yeah like that stuff was great and he has some great jokes I love I mean of course you see this one in the trailer I, I love oh, the, the, uh, the, like the six feet yeah it's like I am now six feet <laughs> 
um, goes all Final Destination with the bus <laughs> on Ron. <laughs> it would like Ron looks good. I like his design. It's very simple, and yes, he is just another friendly robot type character, but it's appealing. And I know some people would probably argue, it's like, oh, he's a pill shape because he's easier to animate that way. I think he still has his own challenges with animation. While his design is simple on the outside, you still have to do a lot with the face. I mean, and it's because like these B-bots are made to be friends, to help find friends and do a ton of like social media stuff and games and what have you. Pill-shaped iPads with wheels. Granted, I know some people might may get irked by the constant Star Wars and Marvel uh, skins being uh, on these B-bots. Eh, whatever. They no, I know, whatever. So like since Disney bought the film, they were probably going to say like, hey, let's just throw them in because, you know, in the end, like someone's going to like deck out their phone with like a like a Miss Marvel phone case and such. It's not, this is normal pop culture stuff, people. It's kind of like that scene from uh, Free Guy. Exactly like that. And I have to give credit to my friend, uh, Connor Lightbody for making this comparison, how the ending of this movie is almost the exact same ending as Free Guy, where like the AI kind of gets sacrificed, the betterment of everyone else. Right. And it's not like Ron does something super amazing. He just makes the B-Bots not as like, I guess it's going to sound weird saying this, not as artificial as they come off. And instead of going like, hey, you like this, he likes this, or they like this. It's just like, oh, the, my B-Bot ran into your B-Bot. Let's hang out and talk or something like that. It's not... They became friends, not because of the algorithm inside. And, you know, lots to complain about with algorithms these days. If you haven't read the tech news and such. And, you know, I like the human designs. I think they look pretty good. The, uh, the trapezoid ears are kind of an interesting touch. Like, they're definitely not, like, trying to be Pixar. They've developed their own house style. And who knows if that's going to continue through their other films but for this one i dig it yeah no um in general like i think i would call ron's gone wrong like a flawed gem but generally liked it overall don't get me wrong i'm not saying that like it's fine it's actually pretty good like and for a first film it's very impressive there are so many times where like a first film from a studio is like oh that's rough kind of thing like i've seen a bunch of like studios from around the world put out a film and it's like hey it's our first cgi movie and it's like that's nice yeah and that's nice really does show (laughs) Um, i know some people are not going to be seeing this movie until it comes out on blu-ray and such because i know right around the corner the eternals is coming out and then people are probably going to wait to see encanto like if they're going to choose an, an upcoming animated film but if you want to see this film if you feel safe enough to go out to a theater i would see it i don't know it was kind of a bummer that i was like the only one at my theater when i saw it i was literally the only one in my theater granted it was a tuesday in the afternoon so (laughs) make with that as you will it was the only time i could see it like i said if you feel comfortable enough going to a theater wear two masks and don't get popcorn like i can recommend it but you know with everything going on 
<laughs> that's kind of my same recommendation. Like, don't make this a priority if you have like other movies above it. But if you have the time and you feel comfortable, then yeah, I recommend seeing it. Yeah. Otherwise, just wait for for Blu-ray. I'm sure it's going to probably start coming out maybe around Christmas, but it might be too early for that. Or it might come out in January. So you probably won't have to wait too long for it. I think let's move over to a show that, you know, finally came out. Like, oh my goodness. Seriously been waiting for this one for a few years now. Yeah, what, like three years now or so? At least. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Production began in 2017. So let's talk about High Guardian Spice, the uh, anime-inspired series from Crunchyroll, a Crunchyroll original, which I know doesn't give off the best like vibe of quality, especially because Crunchyroll, I think, has just ruined it be- with a ton of bad projects wolf and so this was originally announced and it got like a big trailer to like of the people working on it and they were like hey we're going to make this cool very inclusive fantasy adventure series and then for some reason a very loud very vocal minority on the internet got super mad about crunchyroll making a non-anime series for the service that for really no reason uh crunchyroll delayed the release for two years after the original series was actually finished so that means we had like she-ra and the owl house and i think little witch academia Um, that came out before this actually ever got released (laughs) yep oh i want to talk about that enraging aspect of the show but i think let's talk about the show first so the premise is a group of four young girls who attend the high guardian academy and are training to become guardians of the city at the same time they deal with friends allies and betrayals as they attempt to protect everything from an unknown threat. We have our main characters, Parsley, a dwarf uh, girl voiced by Amber Romero, Sage, a magical girl who wants to become a witch and uses old magic, Rosemary, the, I would guess, title character, even though they're, these are all like the main characters, the one with the pink hair and the giant sword in, on the back. <laughs> um, And then we got Time, who is this magical elf person who becomes an archer. And uh, Rosemary is voiced by Brianna Leon, and Time is voiced by Michelle Dico. We finally got to see this series. What did you think about it, Mike? I really enjoyed it. It's a little bit rough around the edges, but it certainly has, like, the passion of a creator who who like has grown up with you know all of these sort of high fantasy shows definitely influenced by a lot of like magical girl anime pretty much like a a coming of age story that just happens to be set in like in a high fantasy setting it definitely plays out more like a uh like a boarding school drama than like a high octane action adventure series there is action there is adventure, but it's more about the dynamics between the characters. And 
how they interact with one another and their actions and consequences to said actions. And yes, I think it's a, a little rough around the edges. Some of the, the pacings like of the story elements are a little rough. I kind of got confused at certain points, but that's also be I was probably just busy also. So I was trying to like go through this series as best as I could. So I may, I might have to rewatch it to see if I did miss a few things. And let's talk about the animation. I think it looks good. It's a very She-Ra looking show. And I'm fine with that kind of look. The not studio mirror look, but kind of inspired by it. Yeah, for people who are like more casual animation fans, they, they would be forgiven if they can if they actually confuse this for anime, even though we know the difference. But it definitely has that like anime inspired look, which is probably why Crunchyroll picked it up. The character designs look solid. I like the like the backgrounds and the architecture. It all looked very nice. Not the smoothest when it comes to character movements, but considering whatever budget they were on, it looks good. I think it's like it's going for that She-Ra look. It's going for that animation style and how everything is like executed there. And I wouldn't be shocked if someone from She-Ra worked on this to some capacity or they were, or saw bits and pieces of She-Ra while this was in production. And, and it's like, okay, let's try for this look. But I think it's able to stand on its own. I think the designs are very cute and it's distinct enough to differentiate itself from like Owl House or Little Witch Academia and from like those kind of shows or games or books with kind of a same premise. And one of the goals was that they wanted to be a very inclusive show. And you do get that. You have one character, a teacher who's voiced by the creator of the show, and he is trans and they make a very poignant scene to just explain that which i thought was interesting two scenes actually and they talk about like transitioning and there are like bi and gay characters and i think it's handled well like i'm on the lower end of the lgbt spectrum so I can't really say like, oh, my experience with it is going to be what everyone else thinks because that's not true. Don't think like that. Like, I think this, the characters are very likable. I think they all have very distinct personalities and I love, I think Time is my favorite just because of her dry delivery of her lines or like when they were at the, the fall festival and how the camera just kind of zoom, zooms in on her when she comes out with her costume and she's like, I look ridiculous and i love that they keep giving her googly eyes on the costume like constant noise so yep. you're like a you hear like a little rattle and such it, it is kind of a quirky little show the teachers we got to talk about the teachers they are very much like hey welcome to class uh we're not gonna like ease you into this at all we're just gonna kick you into the deep end and uh, hope you survive. Bye. <laughs> I think my, my favorite are the triad, specifically the oldest one, who basically has like a lot, a lot of, she basically is you if you were a teacher. <laughs> like she, she's like, okay, meeting's over, get out. <laughs> it's like, and like the other two of the triad are like, you'll be learning and growing stronger with whatever you do for the next three years. 
any elderly one. This is like, or nine years. Like that kid. What was his name? I forgot, but he took a while. <laughs> <laughs> or like the one, or with the witch who does like, who works with like potions and such. Not telling the students that like, hey, drink some tea. Oh, by the way, that tea's poison. So now you got an hour to uh, make a potion, cure yourself. And, you know, I'll make sure to be here for what kind of funeral you want. <laughs> it's like, man, this place is like the school of hard knocks. Basically. <laughs> and they do make the teachers very likable. I, I like Professor Calloway. I think he's a very charming character probably my favorite of the teachers though i do like the uh the martial arts one and I, I like the smith teacher and then of course they have a devil woman who teaches ethics <laughs> i'm sure there's some satire in there somewhere oh absolutely it was very the show is funny it has that um kipo in the age of wonder beast and again shira kind of vibe with maybe a little bit of like how the humor comes off in owl house like it's kind of unfortunate that the show has come out now when there are like so many reference points that you can say like hey this is kind of like this and that and what have you even though this was going to come out way before everything else but then a bunch of inept uneducated pills got mad online because it's not anime in the strictest definition and oh no they're being inclusive and progressive the horrors mm. come on what did you think about the action i don't think it was the smoothest action but i was still pretty hooked from the like the action sequences or like that one huge obstacle course was probably my favorite episode because it had like the best character with uh parnell voiced by Barbara Goodson. This was the episode that made me fall in love with Parnell. Such a fun character. Just like, no fear, no apps given. Just going to jump into the unknown and hope for the best. What, whatever was the intention for this character, they're just great. And th there's a lot of interesting story beats. Like, I love, like, I think the Obstacle Course episode was my favorite episode because it, it called out a fact that, like, you know, well, it's like, it's this dynamic between uh, Sage and, uh, what was it, Snapdragon, who's voiced by Julia Kay, and how, like, they're talking about, like, how Rosemary is, like, falling for this super handsome guy, even though he's, like, the worst kind of person you can think of. Literally the worst. It, it's, like, it's almost a little cartoonish of how terrible he is, along with, like, this other character who really like i was just like oh i want to strangle you i want to reach through the screen and was that um what what's his face parnell's cousin or something yeah or something like that and how all the characters are like oh yeah he sucks <laughs> like no sugarcoating it which i kind of like the show doesn't like try to dance around or tiptoe around the situation or themes at hand they're very like forward with it which you know subtlety is dead in this day and age and i like that the moment between sage and snapdragon when they're talking and how snapdragon kind of calls sage out saying like girls are like this boys are like this well you know what boys want to talk about their emotions and stuff also don't just think we're not interested in that it reminds me of how animation for back then like how gender coded it was Mm, yeah like like in the 80s and 90s boys had these type of shows 
that were like action packed, really there to sell toys, not the deepest story arcs or the characters. And when they did try to have it, they would undo it all with some decision made. Like there's this very infamous Transformers episode where one of the uh, lesser Transformers finds this like hollow earth area. And he's just like, man, this place is pretty. And then finds like this lake of gold that if you go into it, you become invincible. And then once all the Autobots and Decepticons come in there, they wreck up the whole place, like drive all the animals out. It's just like a wasteland after this war. And he's just like, yeah, the war is won. And it's not meant to be like a happy victory. It's really somber. But then the music plays and it's all victorious sounding. I remember that episode being like, it, it almost seemed like someone forgot to tell the composers to, you know, read the room. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what happened because you don't put a victorious theme under all of this destruction it's really tone deaf while like shows aimed at girls were very much like no real action no chances of like fantasy adventure they got the more story driven stuff which was interesting even though a lot of these shows were pretty much written by guys and they're like what does a girl like like what what would girls talk about and then you get that it just, it's a reminder of how good and how much has improved since then. Now that a lot of these shows, even ones that air on like um, Disney Channel, are still mostly creator-driven. So you have, while still few and far between, are now getting more inclusive people like at the helm, getting to like tell their vision and tell more engaging stories. Um, yeah, and they're not really even like coding the shows anymore. It's really anyone can watch the show. I think that barrier broke when Hasbro found out that a lot of boys and guys watched My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, and vice versa with like WB uh, when they were uh, releasing Young Justice. They canceled it back in the day because it had a bigger female viewership. Because, gee, how, why is that a bad thing, WB? Why? <laughs> As a quick aside, I will say canceling Young Justice is the best thing to happen to Young Justice. Pretty much. But um, anyway, let's get back to High Guardian Spice. What did you think about like the overall tone of the show? Because I think they were able to balance it out pretty well. And then it would get a little more violent at sudden points. Once we officially meet like the antagonist, that's when I start to understand why Crunchyroll put the uh, disclaimer in front of every episode. Because be before this, I was thinking like what, like, what is so bad about this that isn't found in like a typical episode of Naruto or, or any other sort of anime? And then kind of towards the second half, you, you get to hear a little bit more cursing. You start to see more blood. And episode 11... My God, that episode is a tearjerker in a way that I should have seen coming. I was still kind of taken aback. Yeah, no, that was a very dark, well, a, a more mature episode. I think I liked episode 10 a little more before 11. And But the show does have like an overall vibe of like, this would have been very cool in the 80s, especially with the corny pop song 
uh, at the beginning and end, mm-hmm. which kind of sounds like someone doing a fan version of like a anime opening and ending. It does. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. That's just, that has to be your thing. It, it comes off like an, a show from the 80s, like that was brought back and then given its own new life. And like, hey, let's do what we couldn't do back in the 80s. <laughs> um, again, y'all, 80s were bad. <laughs> now, did you like the ending to the first season? I'm of two minds. I liked the the final episode, but I'm also of the opinion that I need a second season because I this this cannot be the end of the story. No, especially with that uh, cliffhanger after credits scene. You know, it's just like <laughs> you can't just drop that and then say, "Hey, you, you're canceled." <laughs> I liked the ending fine. I don't think it was my favorite ending to a show this year, just with the whole assassination thing. I don't know if it was just like the, the execution of it, but it I wasn't like feeling like the threat or just like how it just escalated to this point. And I don't know, maybe it's just because I was like vibing more with the character moment or like uh, in episode 11, when Snapdragon was talking to uh, Caraway about just like growing up and just like the, like how they come off to one another and such. Like, I think those were my favorite moments of the show. I would agree with that. I think while I understand that this is an adventure show, so there will be action and adventure, the show works better when it's about the characters. Because otherwise the action's fine. It's well done. It does what it needs to do. It could get pretty cool at points, but I wasn't as hooked and I wasn't as invested with Rosemary's search for her mother, but I thought that was a cool twist at the end. And I hope we do get a second season. It would be very unfair for this to get screwed over by Crunchyroll because a bunch of man children got mad. So let's talk about that quickly. I think Crunchyroll screwed up on the release of this show. I think they just royally screwed it over and the creators and the showrunners and everyone involved. It was very unfair what happened to this show. 100%. This show did not deserve the the beating it took from, let's just call it what it is. Just man children. Let's just be, let's try to be as scathing as we can without (laughs) getting, letting them come our way (laughs) yeah man children who are very insecure about their opinions when it comes to both western and eastern animation and how everything needs to fit in very particular boxes and god forbid one show steps out of the box it was just insane that they kowtowed to their response and so many companies do this. It's aggravating. Like Disney let this happen. And that's what happened with the rise of Skywalker, that terrible movie. This is what happened with Thundercats roar, where it just got dumped onto TV with really no sign or met or advertising because these people who really need to go outside and touch the ground and get a life. were like, that's not my show. That's not my anime or whatever. And it's aggravating that the companies think they are the actual viewership, the actual audience when they are not. They just get the loudest. And then we 
unfortunately, when we try to quell them or like calm them down, amplify their message. And it's unfair. And Crunchyroll, you were ashamed to release this show when you were able and willing to show off Chibiate, the god of high school, and X-Arm in all of their glory. And I say glory in a sarcastic sense because those are three of the worst anime you've ever put out as a service. Especially Jibiate and X-Arm. Really, you are so ashamed to put out this vibrant, fun, fantasy adventure show that was wholesome and inclusive, but you sure as heck were proud of Jibiate and X-Arm. Where's the logic with that? You deserve to have been bought out because of this logic. What happened there? Who decided to say, hey, we're not going to show this off for like two to three years. But sure, show them X-Arm. <laughs> I think that retroactively makes X-Arm and God of High School and Jubiate even worse. That because they had something better and yet they kowtow to people thinking like, oh, they'll want this instead. When nobody wanted X-Arm. Nobody wanted Jibby 8. I, I feel bad for anyone who, who was attached to a Crunchyroll original because one, one show we haven't even touched yet, but we probably will soon, is um, another non-anime series um, based on Mesoamerica culture called uh, Onyx Equinox is another show that, you know, it did have its fan base that dropped uh, last year, but I don't really hear anyone talking about it now, even though a second season is apparently on the way. I think so. I forgot. But my point is, like, it's unfortunate that Crunchyroll is, they, they kind of dropped the ball when it comes to really supporting their originals. Or they do, and then it's just the committee and production houses are just either not prepared to handle it or they just ruin everything. Like seeing yesterday to me was set up to probably be one of my favorite anime of last year, but then they rushed it out because they said like, Oh, we were going to do 22 episodes, but now we're going to just do 12. Gee willikers. I wonder why that messed up the story (laughs) or the God of high school, a Mappa anime, great action, great animation. They shoved like 52 episodes worth of plot into 13 episodes. Wow. (laughs) And Jimmy 8 just, it was just garbage. The director was fine, but everything else, this original anime, just garbage from top to bottom. Bad animation. Bad CGI, bad story, bad writing, bad characters. Even the name Chiviate kind of implies a disaster. And then X-Arm, the committee that you were partially in charge of, got an animation studio that never worked in animation. It wasn't even a animation studio. And you had someone who never worked in animation. And people who never worked in CGI animation. <laughs> like, really? And yet, oh, some very inept man children got upset that this show had a girl with pink hair let's delay it for two years i'm not going to get over that that's maddening beyond belief i don't care if you bring over some of the better anime of every season like odd taxi or the faraway paladin this is maddening 
Like, this is why you got bought out by Sony. When you make dumbass decisions like this, you, you deserve all the bad things. Exactly. And it's just a shame because High Guardian Spice is a fun show. It's it's probably not in my top 10, but it's in my top 20. I very much enjoyed my time watching this show. I loved the story arcs, the writing, the character dynamics, and, and the themes. And it was just a fun time. This is a show I can easily recommend to anyone who's who's in that similar fan base of like She-Ra, The Owl House, Kipo. If you like any of those shows, then you're going to enjoy this. Yeah, yeah. So we definitely recommend it. All 12 episodes are out and hopefully they get at the very least one more season or maybe two more seasons. Whatever you need to complete the story, do it. Do it, man. You cannot end on that cliffhanger and then and then just leave us hanging. Do not do what like that Sonic cartoon in the 90s where it had all of this stuff happen to it. And then it left off with like the possible hint of like either Knuckles or Metal Sonic. Then it just got canceled. <laughs> oh, so frustrating. Uh, and that's just one example. There are so many shows out there that just thought they were getting a second season. And like I said before, Teen Titans probably wouldn't be as like, like in demand to be revived if they didn't put out that last cliffhanger episode. <laughs> yep. Speaking of superheroes, it's time to talk about probably the most interesting little limited event series for HBO Max starring everyone's favorite under the sea superhero Aquaman and the three-part series Aquaman King of Atlantis which you know was produced by James Wan and is basically about Aquaman dealing with you know being king of Atlantis and king to its people while dealing with supervillains, big and small, and trying to uncover this weird little mystery of these crystals that they, he finds on his adventure alongside uh, Mira and Volko, and of course get trying to get screwed over by Ocean Master. <laughs> um, and well, Mike, what did you think? I had a great time with this. This is, I think I described this somewhere else as the insanity of the live action film, but directly translated in the same manic animation style as Thundercats Roar, which by the way, this is from the same creative team. So of course it's going to have that like very stylized animation. This show is a delight. If you're into the more comedic DC cartoons, then you are the exact target audience to this. And I'm not saying this as like someone who just, I want humor in everything. No, I don't want humor in everything, but I tend to like the more comedy driven superhero stuff. I still think that's why I love Lego Batman. This was right up my alley because let's just face it. Comic books are inherently goofy and Aquaman and his world is inherently silly and over the top and bizarre and weird. All the creative team did was just reinforce it. Just like they put it right back in the oven and wait until the very last minute to condense and cook all of that zaniness. And it's so much fun. And it really comes down to just the execution of the visuals and the humor. Like Aquaman is a very goofy individual in this 
show, even though he's the one sane person in the room while having to deal with like Mira, who's like, it's like, hoo-ha, I'm action girl. Like, and that's not a diss or anything. She's very much like, she's probably one of the best things about these three episodes. And she bounces off of Aquaman very well. And they, they have very cute chemistry. I love the two of them together. Cooper Andrews and Gillian Jacobs do just such a delightful like dynamic with their characters and uh thomas lennon as volko is a lot of fun as like the point dexter the uh what's the smurf with the glasses name uh brainy yeah brainy that kind of character and then we have dana snyder as ocean master he steals like every scene he's in (laughs) he's the pettiest villain you can ever think of (laughs) he's so funny how um He's like, I challenge you, Aquaman, to a duel to the throne. And Aquaman's like, no. He's like, what, what? Why? No, I'm not going to fight you. And then the announcer's like, Aquaman has given up the throne, and now Ocean Master is the new king of Atlantis. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I love how like conniving and cartoonishly evil Ocean Master is, which is a huge upgrade from the live action film. I'm sorry. I, I liked all the characters from the Aquaman movie, but Ocean Master was so boring. Then I love how Ocean Master's like, huh, I am now the king of Atlantis and you will all bow down to me. And then Aquaman just whacks him with the with the uh, trident. And it's like, Aquaman is now the new king of Atlantis. One of my favorite running gags is on the wall. There's like a new portrait of each king and it's just Ocean Master, Aquaman, Ocean Master, Aquaman. <laughs> and then there's that one where like the painter's like man i keep doing these so often the next one has to be simple <laughs> it's this was like it's basically like a stick figure yeah <laughs> and i love the the civilians in atlantis how they're just like kind of awkward about like aquaman being the king and then like like one of them had to be like woken up with a knife thrown at him like every time like you see a knife hit the wall and he's like, huh, 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 and then starts clapping even when he's not supposed to. <laughs> or like by the third uh, special or episode where like everyone's just been sitting there in the throne room. <laughs> just like, and Aquaman's just like, you know, you could have just left. <laughs> like you didn't have to wait for me this entire time. And it's like, yeah, well, what about those bandits you hired as guards? Like they were there there this whole time to defend the throne room and they let nothing else happen. And then of course the big prison break happens and they're just, and Aquaman's like, why didn't you do anything? And they're like, well, you said for us to just stay here in the throne room and to make sure nobody sits on the throne. Although technically you didn't specify. (laughs) Oh, the goofiness of this show is so delightful and it has a rhythm to it. It's not just, constant noise on constant noise and i love like the the take that they have for some some of these characters like uh the fisherman i love seeing that villain because i always love seeing lesser known villains from dc's catalog of villains same and i know it sounds like oh what what the heck are they going to do with fisherman a crime lord who fishes (laughs) and then they turn into a whole lovecraftian thing with the squid thing that he wears for a mask and it just 
Oh, I like what 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 were your some of your favorite moments from these three episodes? Just the thought of seeing Scavenger in this setting is he's kind of the perfect villain that you want for story that's not too big, but also not that small either. It would be kind of boring if this was just another Aquaman versus Black Manta or Ocean Master again. Right. So so introducing Scavenger, it gave our heroes uh, like a a worthy adversary it ties into the general theme of this show which is like arthur kind of coming into his own as the king of atlantis that's really what the plot is it's him wanting to be the best king he can be even though the civilians are the worst where they're just like you're not a fun king you left us for an entire year and he's like yeah i was fighting a giant island made of eyeballs teeth and arms <laughs> you could have done something else with your life instead of just waiting here for me to come back <laughs> just to deal with like it's kind of like a parks and rec situation in that regards of just like dealing with the civilians and such and then they were like yeah ocean master was a way better king than us he was trying to bring war upon you well yeah but he at least would have let us be involved with the war <laughs> or just like with that one guy being well yeah I had a great time in Italy. What? Ocean Master took me to Europe. Like, didn't you know? Oh my gosh, these people are the worst. <laughs> like, why should I save you? And it was just so much fun to watch this whole thing un unravel. And I thought they did a pretty good job of pacing these out. They, they come off a little busy at points. And maybe that's also just because of the zaniness of the animation that maybe made it a little too uh much at times but i was constantly invested like even if i didn't care much for the story i loved the characters and the dialogue like i said cooper andrews and gillian jacobs and uh thomas lennon are great as the as the characters and mortikoff or the, the scavenger uh who was voiced by andrew Morg morgato was hilarious also and we kind of we kind of have to mention the cast of of the bandits there's flula borg as mantis Kimberly yeah. Brooks as Hammer, Robbie Damon as Finhead, and Caitlin Robrock as Gillian and Merdusa. And um, there was also Orca, uh, voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson. And yep, and he's also the uh, the royal the announcer. announcer. Yeah, <laughs> always a delight to see these actors pop up. I loved like how they introduced the more Lovecraftian horrors in the third episode, like the the lava trolls and. Uh, what were they called like the crystal men or something like that or the mirror men oh yeah the, the the mirror men and mirror woman yeah and mirror woman women can be criminals too <laughs> that was very funny i thought that was very cute like yeah it's true but it's also just like now's not the time to talk about that <laughs> like atlantis is under attack and i love that scene where volko is fighting the mirror men and then it gets to like a highly detailed look of his face. It's like, this is what you look like right now. And he's like, no. Or like that one fish guy was just like, oh, you know, I like how I look in this. And then later when you see him, he's like, I'm just realizing that looking at myself in the mirror for so long that it reveals the emptiness inside me and how alone I am in this world. <laughs> the humor in this is, is just, it's delightful. Oh, it's so engaging and just very funny it's constantly funny 
And of course, the constant gag of Aquaman not liking the throne he's sitting on is hilarious because again, don't go for visual aesthetics over the comfort of sitting down on something. And then it, even like sitting down on like one stool, he's like, huh, even this is more comfortable than my throne. This is my new throne. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I know it's only three episodes and it probably works best as it three episodes. But if they can get the team to make more DC stuff with this kind of zaniness, I would be down with it. I had so much fun with this. Yeah, that, that's that's the thing. I, I kind of hope we see more, if not directly connected to this Aquaman show, but more from this creative team to do mi- mini series for like other characters. Like imagine like a Shazam story with like Mr. Mind or... Oh my God, I was thinking exactly Shazam would be perfect for this or like maybe like a green arrow or like the question or something like that. Or or, pla- um, or Plastic Man. That might be a little too obvious, but heck, screw it. Get Tom Kenny back as Plastic Man and it would be great. It was just a fun event series. Like we've had some pretty good limited series this year, like with Mayan the three and now this. This is what's so cool about animation. You can get so many different kind of shows and- you have to be open to that and accepting of that because otherwise animation's not going to change or evolve. Aquaman King of Atlantis is the thing that shows me why I love animation in the first place. Honestly, the whole reason we started this podcast is because there is so much more to offer than the next Disney or the next Pixar or even when we cover anime, we're not we're not just doing like the big three or or whatever. We try to give a spotlight to a little bit of everything yeah so this is why it's cool to look at everything even if you don't end up liking all of it as long as it gives you an experience something that you'll remember you'll definitely want like that's all that it needs to do i mean besides be profitable and a success oh sure yeah i really liked aquaman king of atlantis like the more i think about it the more i just love the zaniness like or like when they're trying to chase after the ocean master they like go through like this nice peaceful part of into the earth and such and then they go into a nightmare world and then they're like oh now you got to go through lava land and then ice world and it's like wait why is there ice under the lava well you got to <laughs> cool off afterwards and it's like no that doesn't make sense or like how mira is just like i don't believe space exists and aquaman and volko is like no it exists it's up there <laughs> oh it's i could go on for to talk about all the little moments this show is full of stuff like that if you like puns this show gives you like that one's full oh gosh i love i think one of my favorite little gags was the uh the surf and turf area or like human food court (laughs) (laughs) oh and the the land food court yeah the sushi scene where aquaman says like oh man i I talk to fish, but I don't eat them. And then everyone's like, what the heck, man? And it's just like, what? <laughs> it's like, do you want me to eat one of y'all? Yeah, so check out this mini series. It's only three episodes. They're all about 45 minutes long. I think everyone would have fun with this. Like Animation Hedge will probably love the visual style and just the expressions and how being off model is the on-model choice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if that makes sense. And it's kind of like the thing I wish I could make because I'm not great at animating on model or just drawing on model. 
this is like I would do like expressive faces and just contortions and just perspective changes all of the time. But as long as it's readable and enjoyable to look at, that's all that would matter to me. Exactly. So um, yeah, I think that's it for me. So go watch Aquaman, King of Atlantis. Now, as far as recommendations for this week, I don't have too many outside of just like basic updates on, you know, the newest episodes of Amphibia, The Ghost of Molly McGee, and Young Justice. Each of these new episodes are honestly some of my favorites of the seasons so far. But if I had to recommend one main recommendation, actually two, one of them if you're an Adams Family fan, Dave Lee Down Under put out a cartoon evolution episode that focuses on the entire history from like the New Yorker comics to like the live action sitcom to both of the animated series, the Barry Sonnenfeld films, and even the new animated films. So if you're into the Adams Family and want to know more about their history, definitely check out that video. And the other one is a YouTuber named uh, Laurent Reedus. Did a little video essay on Maya and the Three and whether or not Lady Meekday deserves uh, forgiveness. So if you want a little bit more Maya coverage, you're going to want to check out that video. Yeah, yeah. Now for me, I'll tease one more anime that I think people should check out. Because we're after this episode, we're going to take a week off to watch, you know, more anime because it never stops. And we will uh, be talking about this one in the second part of the two fall 2021 episodes. But for me, like as y'all probably heard from the episode, I was not a huge fan of Jobless Reincarnation. It got better as the time went on, but it was a struggle to get to that point where it got good. And it wasn't fully satisfying to me. So I found the better alternative, at least for me, was the Faraway Paladin. It's on Crunchyroll. It's an Isekai, but it focuses more on the growing up of our main character as he is like trained and raised by like a skeleton warrior, a mummy priestess, and a ghost wizard. And it takes more time to expand on that relationship and that family dynamic more than just being a power fantasy. And I'm sure we're going to get to that point, but I love that this show was more into its world building and characters than just being another power fantasy with harems and edgy like stuff. It was just very distinct and I loved that. So definitely check it out. It's one of the better Isekais of this year. Awesome. I definitely look forward to this one. Yeah, so... That brings um, another episode to a close. Before we head out of here, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash camsiview or at camsiview. You can just hear me talk about animation from time to time on there. I also have a website called camsiview.biz where I review animated films and shows from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camsiview. If you like my work, you can support me that way. I am working on a Ko-Fi profile account if you'd rather support me in a way that's not like a subscription and such. So that's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. Find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. 
Look for us on Podchaser. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need an escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out. Bye.